Yes. And he, the tails, and the club was called two for two one. Two for one. And the address was two for one, like two for one, whatever the road was. Oh. And the guy who owned it unfortunately died, but his name oh. was Philippe. And he was French. I and say, it you was. You say that like I'm supposed to be like, ooh. What is it? <laughs> okay. No. You could no. be Kevin. It wouldn't really matter. You <laughs> could be Kevin. That's true. And then there was another guy. And his name, are you ready? Phil. <laughs> no, his name was Philippe. This is why, with your hosts, Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. But there's another guy. Now there's, I'm sensing a whole theme that sex will get you killed because Philippe died. And then there was this other guy we knew down there who um, built a house up on the rocks. Was his name Jack? Was, no, his name was not Jack. <laughs> <laughs> and he built this house and the house had, it was a. Was like it made out sleep. of sticks or hay? <laughs> bricks uh. could blow it down <laughs> so he had uh, it was a full odd like sex house he had like a sex dungeon he had swingers parties he had all these things like i imagine it being like some fabulous like where jack horner would hang out right right sure he ended up leaving there he got in a huge fight with his girlfriend and there was some just i don't Over know craziness what? That, i don't know <laughs> something maybe someone didn't realize the game they were playing not so sure but I then see. he came back he and wouldn't he take built. the trash out that was the thing that probably was yeah. it that's probably exactly what it is damn it kevin um, he spiked the ball and did uh <laughs> bacon volleyball and right. hit her in the nose i don't know so then they he went bought a nudist colony in florida and then he died that's a sentence i've never heard Bought, bought a, a nudist, nudist colony. Yeah. I know. That's right? like a euphemism I wish he was for something. still alive, right? <laughs> but he died. He bit it. What happened to Steve? Oh, he bought a nudist colony. Oh, <laughs> that's so sad. <laughs> that's totally, it's better than buying the farm. Right. Uh, <laughs> oh, is your aunt out of the hospital? No, she bought the nudist colony. <laughs> Yes, well, see? I'm so glad we didn't buy the nudist colony on that ro- <laughs> coaster. That's amazing. I, that's I can't that's wait another till one. We publish our Y dictionary. That's another one that needs to get into the um, popular vernacular. Yes, I'm telling you, we need the Y to English dictionary. What was it? There was the dinner theater as a, an expletive, and now yes. bought the nudist colony. Bought the nudist colony. All right. You ready, Luke? Mm-hmm. All right. Today joining us, we have Monty Najar, who is the founder and owner of Orion Herp Adventure Travel. Thank you for being with us this afternoon. Thank you. Uh, one of the founders. And actually, I pretty much hold my partner's coat. So he's the more prominent uh, workhorse of the organization. So should we send you home and invite him here instead? Or? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Can he can he come yeah. to the mic? Wow. Okay. Uh, he's, well, in, he's in Borneo right now with a bunch of tourists. But fantastic. So yeah. so tell us a little bit about this. What 
is a herp adventure. There, I think because of the advent of the internet, every obscure little hobby in the world is now a thing. You can string together the 100,000 people all over the place that are all interested in the same thing. Um, and that's what herping is. Uh, this used to be called Monty's Crazy, goes out in the woods and looks for snakes. Um, and I actually don't know when the term herping came around. Worst name for a hobby in the history of the world, by the way. Yeah, it really is. It really sounds like an STD. So what yeah. is this, the actual definition of being a herper? Um, well, you have fishermen, you have birders, you have herpers, people that are generally enthusiastic about uh, reptiles. Herpetology is the study of reptiles and amphibians, which is a subcategory that was broken out, I think, in the maybe 40s or 50s. Amphibians and reptiles are separated. Um, so if you like turtles, you're a turtle person, you like going to look for turtles, or you own turtles, or you study turtles, um, you're a herper. Uh, snakes and, you know, um, frogs and all, all these kinds of things. The difference between, I'll just launch into it, the difference between a herpetologist and a herper is that herpetologists are generally degreed professionals um, that study, they're, they're biologists, they study these things. Herpers could mean a lot of things. You have um, some sort of hardcore academics, you have a ton of guys that um, breed all kinds of really crazy cool colors of um, corn snakes and ball pythons. And so literally they'll have 3,000, you know, of these small species of pythons in their basement. And they are really striking and really amazing. Um, but then you have your sort of um, goth guys that like them as a decoration and have, uh, you know, an albino python or something like that. Then you have taxonomy guys who are really interested in the, the um, in the science of like slicing and dicing the different categories and things like that. What I myself would fall into in this whole thing that we're here to talk about today is uh, field herping, which is basically just, uh, I, I like to, I like to compare it to fishing because fishermen, they get out there and, you know, connect with nature and they have this, uh, fascination and interest of all things fish and uh they sort of um because of that they sort of torture them <laughs> they catch them put a hook through their mouth and throw them back i mean we're a lesser version of that um generally um handling these things is not in the in the picture but um but sometimes and uh and basically just trying to get really stunning photos and, and uh and and see every different species you can things like that so why are you a herper Okay, well, trying to speak to civilians and not look too insane. My lead-in for that is that, you know, what did you love when you were 10? Because for me, running around the woods, swamp behind my mom's house, catching turtles and snakes, it was me, my brother, and another friend that were just fascinated. Um, you get field guides that have all those cool info. Nature is crazier than anything you could ever make up. And um, so um, I think I was probably about 30 when... I was traveling in L.A. and working there for two weeks, and I thought, you know, I've never seen a rattlesnake in the wild. So I went out in the Mojave Desert and just hiked around and found a really, really cool rattlesnake, took pictures of it, did a little happy dance, and uh, that's kind of when it started for me. But, yeah, I think the, the, the central thing is what did you love when you were 10? That's what it comes down to. And for, for me, it was uh, snakes. So uh, I don't know, just kind of carried over. So now so – go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, for me at 10, it was not snakes. Yeah. Um, I hate all snakes. And I, right. if you could see, I literally have my feet up off the ground because just hearing you go <laughs> through the list, I'm terrified. Um, I don't hate reptiles, though. Like, I'll touch yeah. a lizard. I, okay. I'll touch a lizard for days. Bring me a lizard now, and I will touch it. <laughs> okay. um, but I feel like it's not. I'm not the only one with this fear. Like Genesis, before Peter Gabriel, 
has their main <laughs> villain of the story is the snake. So how old Wait, were what you? What was the name of the band before Peter Gabriel's Genesis? I'm, it no, was still I'm Genesis. Kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> mean the so book. Yeah. how old were you when you started going out to the yard and, and looking for these abominations in the eyes of God? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I... I I can't say. I mean, uh, I got this from my mom and my grandpa, a sort of wide-eyed sense of wonder. And uh, so I'd say five or six. I don't know. I know that I, I remember distinctly somebody bringing the big old python for, a, you know, show day where they would be showing wildlife and, and absolutely lit me up. I love that. Um, I think as a kid and probably more than I'd like to admit today, they're provocative. Somebody's going to walk fat towards you quickly. Or away from you quickly, but generally, um, it's interesting. It's not just, uh, you know, uh, it's not boring. So, so how do you herp? How do you uh, look okay. for these things? Well, um, basically, you head out around dusk. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of versions of this, but let me just talk about, for example, Kurt is in Borneo, my partner, um, and they will basically wait for dark and go out with very powerful headlamps. And generally, the top of a snake is camouflaged in green. So if you're looking down on it, you see green leaves everywhere. You can't see the snake. When you look up from underneath, you see sky, and it's sort of pale colored, and it's camouflaged. So you don't see anything. Well, that all goes um, haywire when you go out at night um, because the light-colored um, belly um, stands out. Um, so that's just one. I mean, there are ground-dwelling snakes, and there are you know, some that are subterranean, stuff like that. But um, for example, yeah, just going out with headlamps and looking up all through the trees. And um, honestly, the, wait, they're you know, in the trees. Yeah, there's, okay, yeah, I am I never leaving the house. Again. You, but there <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever seen the jungle book? I'm going to be in the fetal position by the time we're done with this. <laughs> okay. Keep going. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, a healthy dose of fear. I mean, or just the, the, the fear and repulsion that they, generally instill in people like that's something that I'm very used to dealing with and have thought about, about, about a ton as well. And it's an interesting thing to kind of pick apart. One, the biggest component honestly is ignorance. Like if you don't know what's going to happen or what it is or anything about it, it's just so hard to relate to. I mean, a puppy you can relate to it's sweet and it licks your face and it jumps around and goofy, you know, but, um, a snake, you have no idea what it's thinking or doing. And, um, so, um, a little bit of information and I've done this a hundred times with like sort of exposure therapy where somebody's sort of okay with it. I actually have a video of a woman in Africa from about two months ago where she actually held the snake at the end, which was just an incredible, um, you know, bit of growth or whatever you want to call it. Um, so why so. do you think someone would want to overcome their fear? I mean, are they really going to be that exposed to them unless they come with you to Africa? Honestly, you don't need to, um, especially in Michigan. We have, How about Pennsylvania? Yeah, I mean, it, honestly, you'd, unless you're, I always have a joke like, "Oh, we were in Africa, and we didn't see any snakes." Well, how hard were you looking? Right. I mean, these things are if they don't, if they're not good at hiding, they die. So, um, in general, you're not going to see them. You don't need to encounter them. You don't need to, honestly. Um, but people that live around them, there is some uh, merit in in teaching them. Because um, if a healthy healthy fear of snakes is a good thing, then. I I am Jack LaLanne. I mean, <laughs> yeah. What do you call a group of herpers? Is it herpes? Uh -huh. Nice. Nice. Thank no, you. I haven't heard that before, but I've <laughs> heard every so every version. Of, no, I will say that last year 
I went to West Africa and we're doing an expeditionary trip. So yes, I was, uh, we were herpes in Ghana, uh, four of us. So yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, obviously this started in the backyard in the creek, but now, as you've mentioned, you're traveling all over the world, going into these very remote areas, bringing people with you. People pay to have this experience. How did this fascination evolve to that? Um, well, for me, um, there's one word that, that I think should be put on my gravestone, which is adventure. The experience, it, if you ask a deer hunter about deer hunting, there's a little bit of beer, there's a little bit of buddies, but there's a whole lot of being out in nature. A friend of mine was telling me about how he sat so still that this bird landed on his rifle barrel and he was like, I'm at one with nature. So there's a lot of that that goes on. Um, you know, if you want, if you go to Africa, you know, you can go to South Africa, you're going to get in a Jeep, you're going to go down a bouncing road and, you know, and, and the Rangers all call in where the lion kills are. That's great. No, no, not, you know, disparaging that or whatever. But if you want to get off road and go and meet Africans and you want to, you know, really, um, have unique experiences, uh, we, this, this, um, last tour that we were setting up in Ghana, we set up a jungle camp that doesn't exist. Uh, it hadn't existed before. I brought in six tents. Um, so, you know, you're eating, sleeping, drinking with locals. You're getting a little bit of culture. Um, I completely forgot the question, but, you know, um, no, it's a cocktail. The reason people come with us is, is honestly, it's for the whole experience. It's almost like you need an arbitrary mission. And uh, yes, I do love snakes and reptiles and wildlife, but, you know, uh, it's as much about the experience as anything else. When you've stumbled on a lot of things beyond snakes, from what I understand, there have been some encounters with some other creatures. Absolutely. <laughs> some may have attacked your head at oh, one God, point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yep. want to tell us a little bit about some of the things you run into beyond what you might be looking for? Yeah. Um, well, um, what you're referring to there was uh, in January, I had uh, an extreme medical emergency. I just... Uh, I was traveling with a local guide. I was on my own. It was uh, it was not meant to be a herping trip, but I cannot help myself. Um, so uh, I'm out in the wilderness. Uh, basically, he thought he saw a snake kind of go around the right side or a lizard or something around the right side of the base of this tree. So I was going to go around the left side. I ducked under the foliage of the tree, stood up, and I set just so neatly right on my head um, a wasp nest. And um, I stood there for about a half second thinking, Maybe I should be calm. Maybe I should move slowly. Maybe I shouldn't panic. And then I thought, no, this is the time to panic. <laughs> and uh, so I ran like hell for 20 yards and uh, then um, just descended. I mean, if you slowly roll a curtain down the window, um, I had I just descended into this complete anaphylactic shock. Um, I, I have a list somewhere, um, it's sort of therapeutic. I write this stuff out or whatever, my journal as well, just get an anatomy. But uh, I think I had about 12 symptoms, everything from, um, you know, I was feeling pain, obviously incredible pain, but I also had this little voice way back in the back of my head, like, oh, that's interesting tunnel vision, but it's white and snowy. Oh, God. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so I, I just completely lit up and I, I stepped back to, um, in, in, you know, uh, absolute terror just, um, if I said right now, Hey, where's your pancreas? Could you focus on your pancreas? Could you feel your pancreas? I don't know. But I tell you at that moment, I knew all about my esophagus because if my throat started to seal up, I was going to die. Oh um, so I stood there for a good couple minutes, um, focused on my airway. And I don't know why, other than a little charm that a dear friend gave to me before I left that sits right over my 
my windpipe. Um, I don't know why that one didn't happen, but everything else in the world lit up. Uh, so long story short, spent a couple days in the hospital. You know, people will tell me uh, I'm crazy, I'm nuts, I'm whatever. And I actually am, I have a very strong um, safety protocols and um, a very cautious fellow from my work uh, in my day job with sort of hazardous uh, equipment in, in factories. So yeah, you're crazy. You take undue risks, blah, blah, blah. No, you know what? The system worked. Um, it was a freak accident and, uh, you know, um, true to sort of philosophical form when you go through something like that, I'm grateful for it. Uh, it was sort of a rebirth and, uh, and here I am. So it's amazing. And then I know you're also, when you sort of, when you're in these cultures and these environments, you really try to embrace what's what's normal for them. So I know you've, we know you've eaten some interesting things too. Yeah. The last time actually I went, we went, I went back to, uh, so that trip in January with the wasp incident was, uh, was in Ghana and West Africa. And, um, the way that they took care of me, I really wanted to set up tours there and I want to expand things for my partner, Kurt. So, um, and, and also there was a bit of an F you, I'm not, I'm not done with you, Africa. So, um, (laughs) I wanted to go back and, um, so, uh, yeah, no, we took a, I took a group of, uh, there was four of us. It was sort of an expeditionary trip to actually, um, set up tours and we set up that camp and things like that. But yeah, no, uh, I've eaten crazy stuff all over the place. I must say though, what you're, I think what you're referring to is, um, they had fish, they had chicken and they had a rat and, uh, at this roadside stand thing. So, um, you know, I'm pretty bulletproof, but I got to say, I, that really made me sick, you know, like the, the long tail oh. and they're trying to feed me the head. There's always oh, a little bit of a oh. like mess with the tourist guy. Now it's my um, turn. <laughs> but the thing I couldn't get over was the skin. Oh, yeah, the skin was far too like human or something to me. And uh, yeah, so that that got to me. I, I'm I'm not gonna lie. But uh, it's about the adventure. It's about the. There are so many. There's a cultural a- angle, you know, of of all the people you meet in 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 not on the tour bus, you know, living amongst um, very far away rural peoples, um, who open their arms, you know, to you and, uh, show kindness and curiosity. And, um, also I am a dedicated hockey evangelist. Um, I, uh, I, I lived out of the country in 1995 when the Red Wings were in the finals for the first time ever. I was so pissed off. I couldn't, you know, so that like just burned it into my soul. If you ever lived abroad, you know, I'm not Mr. Crazy USA guy, but when somebody asked if I was Canadian living in England, I almost punched him in the face. You know, you get <laughs> you get the volume turned way up. Well, my hockey, um, you know, fanship or what fan, you know, whatever fanaticism um, got turned way up and never got turned down. So I take hockey pucks everywhere I go. They're great souvenirs. You give that to an Indian village kid. It's like a moon rock to them. Um, you know, soccer is also a great cultural connector. I always try to, um, get involved with a little bit of music. I took my sons to Columbia in 2014 and they had this whole, um, like impromptu, um, Hiropo sort of concert. Hiropo is their local, um, um, music, uh, with like heavy guitar and, uh, anyway, folk singing. Um, so yeah, no, there's a lot of elements to it. Um, but, um, uh, it, you know, the arbitrary, um, it starts with the arbitrary uh, sort of um, mission of trying to find snakes and lizards and things like that. So, Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like the herping is an excuse to go to interesting places and hang out with interesting people. Yep, absolutely. Um, so I hate to ask this question, but what's the largest snake you've ever found? <laughs> um, I would say about a 10-foot anaconda. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. They're, you know, honestly, uh, the, 
this this if if you came on a trip with us, not that you have to care. You live in Pennsylvania. You know, there's no reason to worry about snakes or care about snakes or whatever. But this is I've seen this a hundred times where you are fifty feet away. There is no danger that can befall you from fifty feet away. And then standing there for a minute, you get a little bit closer and you come closer. And honestly, I should play this video of the the cook, our cook at the camp in Africa. Um, and, uh, you know, um, there's a spider tail. What happens is you get really, um, the colors are fascinating. They're amazing. Um, the, um, okay, here's an example. We, um, we were in Borneo about two years ago. And there's a species of uh, clubrid, which is just a massive category. It's not vipers. It's not elapids like cobras. It's this separate category. This harmless snake is a false viper, and it mocks, it, you know, mock viper. It kind of copies the look and um, behavior and things like that of a viper. So it, you know, stuff doesn't mess with it because it looks like a viper. Okay, so um, where was it? This snake um, in scientific literature originally when it was described, um, which is not that long ago, um, there was a, a woman on the research project that they had caught a bunch of them and she flung it on the ground and freaked out because it was the real thing. It was a viper. Well, everyone was really weirded out by this. <laughs> like, okay, how could we have made this mistake? You had five people look this thing over. Um, and she insisted absolutely it was the real thing. Uh, it got away. That was the end of it. Well, it happened again a couple days later, but it didn't get away. They observed it in a bucket or something like that. And what they came to find out was that one of the biggest benchmark differences between the dangerous snake and the not dangerous snake, I mean, to the untrained eye, they would look exactly the same to you. Um, if you knew what you were looking for, um, you would know that the pupil is round on the harmless one and the human, the pupil is elliptical, um, like a cat on the viper. Um, and that's not a rule by the way, which always gets confused among laymen like, Oh, round eye means it's not harm. You know, it's harmless or whatever. That is not true at all. But in this case, that's the benchmark thing that differentiates these things. So what, they found, and what we observed, I saw this myself, was that when you disturb the snake, the harmless snake can constrict its pupil to go elliptical, like the viper. And then after like five minutes, it gets tired and it goes back to round. I have pictures of the same snake with an elliptical eye and a, and a, and a you know, round pupil. Okay, but first of all, you have to get close enough to see the pupils. <laughs> so how you can deter... And then secondly... I don't even understand how you can even figure out that theory because, or that. That's what they do. Yeah. Wow. You know, and then there's, there's species of death adders in, um, in Australia that, um, they, okay. So there's this evolutionary race over millions of years. And, um, so there's, uh, an area that's really, really, really good for frogs. Zillions of frogs. Vipers are like, or adder, these death adders are like, cool food. So they, the, the frogs explode, then the snakes follow, then the frogs amp it up. And they developed this um, poison that, um, you know, will kill a snake. So, okay, yeah, you killed a frog, but one frog for one snake is a huge win. If one antelope could kill one lion, there wouldn't be any more lions. So there's one for the frogs for a million years. Well, a million years later, these adders, I don't understand myself how they can pass down knowledge. I get how they can pass down physical attributes, but the adder will strike the frog and then wait 40 minutes, not an hour, not 20. It'll wait around 40 minutes within, you know, a couple of minutes until the poison is inert, and then it'll eat the frog. And not only that, but they can distinguish among species of frogs because there are other species of frogs that have this 
um, secrete the sort of glue that hardens. They'll strike those and they'll wait a different amount of time. They only wait 18 minutes or something until the glue hardens and then they'll eat those. Honestly, science is way, way crazier than fiction. And uh, I, I come into something every week that uh, that um, just blows me away. Um, thinking I'm a, you know, uh, uh, armchair expert on these issues, and then finding something in the wild and saying that that just can't, I, that can't be. I can't believe that's true, but it is. Do you need a license to herp? <laughs> uh, it depends on where you are. Every state is different. Um, generally, um, the nicest kind of herper, you get a lot of daredevil jerks that want to handle you know, venomous stuff. Um, but generally, um, to go take pictures of trees with a snake resting on it is, you know, is fair play. Um, but if you want to capture them or handle them or the, the worst thing you can say in our world is the collectors, the guys that pull stuff out of the wild. Um, but generally no. Um, yeah, we just go take pictures and, and, uh, they're guys with checklists, life lists and things like that, where they want to, you know, they're only missing one species from a certain region. So, uh, so generally is there a Herber code of ethics are there good and bad herpers yeah for sure um there's a lot of factions within it um and again just even just talking about field herpers is just one class the best kinds that that my partner and i get along with that are most respected are you know you're not handling things um because honestly that's a little bit of torture and stress for the animal but basically just taking photos how do people usually find you in order to join you for one of your tours um, the internet, honestly, there, there are all kinds of forums. Um, and there is, uh, Facebook is, has different groups. Um, my partner, Kurt is very, very active. Um, and that honestly drives most of it. Uh, he's very, very dedicated. He spends just an absolute ton of time in the field. So he's always posting photos on social media and, uh, then, um, just, uh, yeah, the same way any other business. It's a unique thing though, to, to find people that, um, have a passport in the U.S. I mean, there's a lot of international people that come as well. And you have um, a website, correct? Yes, yes. It's orionherpadventure.com. And if anybody could get me to give snakes a second chance, I feel like it would be you. I'm still not booking, but I just... <laughs> so Heidi, what did we learn today? You know, I think I actually learned that snakes are not like agents of Satan. I, I honestly, like, it's not a, it's not a bit, it's not a shtick. Like, I honestly, hearing Monty describe his trips, I'm like, that sounds like a great time. Yeah, this I sounds agree. like something I would like to do. Yeah, everything about his trips sound fascinating. I learned I never want to eat rat, although I think I already knew that, so I guess I didn't learn that. If you have a why story you'd like to share or have any questions for us, don't hesitate to drop us an email at thepodcastwhy at gmail.com. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Why is produced and recorded on computers by myself and Heidi Hedquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sove and Sandy Stone. Our theme song is performed by the Electrosynthomatics Polyphonic Orchestra, which you should try saying 10 times fast. This is for Philippe, who is hopefully napping. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home.